0: Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners a technique that is easily learnt and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynephimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Femister.
1: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the podcast show. My very special guest tonight is Dr. Ataluri. Welcome,
2: Dr. Ataluri. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dr. Phimister.
1: Okay, so Dr. Atluri is a pain specialist. He has a fellowship in pain, and he's got a couple of passions regarding this. Down the road, he's trained in anesthesia. He's gone into the world of pain management, and also he's certified in regenerative medicine by the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians, and that was back a few years ago. So he's got a wealth of experience. He's dealt with chronic pain patients for over 20 years, and he's a leader in the field, not only in Cincinnati where he works, but also around the country. And tonight, we're going to dive into the messy subject often of opioids. It's a big subject that. You know, many doctors struggle with, and I think our audience, many of which will be on this if they are, have got chronic pain or have been on them, and we're going to dive into the subject matters around that because this is one of his key areas where he's published, um, extensively. He knows a lot about it. So, Doctor Adluri, just
2: give us a little background to connect with our
1: audience. So where are you from? You know, where did you go to
2: uni, etc. So, I'm originally from uh, India. Went to medical school there came to us in uh, 1992 did my anesthesia residency at university of uh, cincinnati and after that fellowship in pain management at the same university and i've been uh, stuck in cincinnati since as about 25 years i guess started with anesthesia and pain did that for five years and then moved on to 100% pain and i've been uh, doing uh, In management for the last uh, 20 years.
1: Okay, so many, many years experience and you've seen a lot, you've helped a lot of people. So let's just dive in. What would you say is the biggest thorny issue with opioid management right now?
2: I think, as you know, there is an uh, opioid epidemic in America and that's largely due to the pharmaceutical industry having a false narrative of aggressively pushing opioids to everybody that has uh, led to the crisis and there is now the pendulum has swung the other way where physicians are now afraid to prescribe because of sanctions from the regulatory agencies in the early 2000s, opioids were used very aggressively and now people are afraid to use it. And both are bad. There needs to be a balance and striking the balance is very important. So patients who need it have access to these opioids and people who want to abuse it, we keep opioids away from them. And that's a difficult balance, but it is not impossible to do it. And that's where I focus my passion and energy to educate other physicians and residents how to appropriately manage your chronic pain with opioids
1: okay, so many patients are on these medications, and how would you suggest if somebody is on a high dose of morphine, say at two hundred milligrams a day, very high dose, how would you recommend the
2: weaning off that so what first Needs to be done is screen the patient, which is now one of the CDC recommendations. And this has come into light only recently, but we've been doing this part of screening patients right from the very beginning. I've actually published one of the first screening tools. Actually, it was the first objective screening tool. When a patient is looking for opioids, is he looking for pain relief or is he looking for pain drug? That's a very important distinction. And that screening tool will tell us, it separates these two kinds of patients. So every patient that comes to our clinic gets stratified and profiled into four categories, uh, depending on the risk, high risk, medium risk, or low risk. And the fourth category is very high risk. That's the key because you don't treat an eight-year-old grandma who's got arthritis the same as a 30-year-old kid with tattoos whose MRI is not very significant and he smokes pot and now he's looking for drugs. So we need to make the distinction. I'm giving you two stark examples at both ends of the spectrum just to give you an idea. So coming back to your original question, if someone is on high dose opioids, and we do see that when there was a time when family doctors used to aggressively prescribe opioids because they truly believed in it, and then they, because of the regulations, they don't want to prescribe that anymore, and then these patients end up in the pain clinic. So this is how I address the issue with the patient. First of all, this will uh, surprise many of our listeners that there is absolutely no evidence in the medical literature that opioids work in chronic pain. There's a ton of evidence that it works like a charm when it comes to acute pain or cancer pain, but the evidence is non-existent in uh, chronic pain. So I tell them that. Point number one is there is no evidence that it works. Point number two, there is a lot of evidence that the risk of addiction and overdose deaths is directly proportional to the dose of the opioid. Uh, The higher the dose, higher the risk. So that's another reason for them to come down on the opioids. And the third thing, what we've learned lately is this phenomenon called opioid hyperalgesia. What I mean by that is, let's say there are two patients, one who's on high dose opioids and another patient who's not on any opioids. And you give them the same pain stimulus The patient on uh, high-dose opioids perceives way more pain than the patient who's opioid naive because the opioids alter the uh, receptors, the mu receptors, and they perceive more pain. So that's another reason why high-dose opioids should not be used. And I counsel them saying all these three things, and we gradually taper them down over a period of months and bring them to lower doses, by that I mean about 20 morphine equivalents a day, which is approximately four per set of Vicodins a day, but it's a gradual wean, uh, not uh, a rapid detox, as long as the patient is acceptable to that uh, regimen. And it's surprising most well, what I hear is they say that they don't feel cloudy anymore. They can think clearly. Um, so that's how we address these patients who come to us with high-dose opioids. So just to recap, so 200 milligrams of morphine is equivalent to four percocets a day. Is that what you said? No, 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 no. 200 milligrams of morphine, 200 divided by five, I'm never good in math, so that's why I went to medicine, but uh, that's 40 pills. 40 45 p- milligram percocet or Vicodin.
1: Okay. So basically you're swapping them over or reducing the dose and take a couple of months. I've heard the rule of reduce by 10% total amount every
2: week. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds reasonable. Very reasonable. Because all you need is 25% of what they're taking to prevent a withdrawal. Like if someone is taking 200 milligrams of morphine 25% uh, would be 50 milligrams. If he's taking 50 milligrams of morphine a day, he would not have a withdrawal. Uh, uh, What we're trying to do here is prevent a withdrawal. Okay.
1: What do you say when patient says, well, you know, the pain's more and I'm struggling and they put up excuses. What do you come up with then?
2: So there are two kinds of addiction and it's very important to make this uh, distinction. One is physiological dependence. The second one is psychological dependence. Physiological dependence is when you stop taking the opioid, suddenly you go through a withdrawal. And the example I like to use to convey this message to my patients is Mother Teresa, who's to me, one of the most noblest souls. Even if she's on opioids for a long term, especially high doses, if she stops taking the opioid abruptly, she'll go through a withdrawal. And that's normal. That happens to everybody. That's a physiological uh, phenomenon. The second thing is psychological dependence, which is when you uh, have the craving for the drug and you're not taking it for pain, but you're taking it because your body and your mind is begging for the drug, which is the real addiction. That's the scary part. Dependence is easy to deal with. You gradually taper them off the opioids. There are no issues at all. Psychological dependence is the tough one. And that is something that as pain physicians, we are not equipped to treat. These patients need the real opioid rehab. So when a patient comes to me with the high dose opioid, if they are physiologically dependent, it's easy. We gradually taper them down. And like I said earlier, uh, most of them are happy. Their, Their pain probably sometimes gets worse initially, but then it levels off. And the level of pain is the same on low-dose opioids as they're on high-dose opioids, but they're more functional and they can uh, think clearly and they say that our mind is less cloudy. And we continue low-dose opioids or even wean them off if they're up to it. We encourage them to come off and if they need low-dose opioids, I don't mind continuing that. On the other hand, if the patient is uh, psychologically dependent or has craving or is addicted, these are the patients who are very resistant to my weaning protocol, either they don't show up or you uh, constantly have arguments. And uh, I just tell them, I can't help you, you need help. So this is how uh, we deal with these patients.
1: Okay, so there's two groups, and uh, the psychological and the, the physiological. Okay, so, You've mentioned about reduction, and then you've mentioned about the different risk groups. So say somebody's coming in, maybe somebody's got pain right now, and that would be a good thing to be on is some opioids. So what would be the the key factors or the risk factors that you'd say, yeah, this is an appropriate choice of treatment for this patient in front of me right now?
2: What I start off with is usually, if they're opioid naive, is tramadol. I like to start off with that. But I have to make sure they're not on any antidepressants because tramadol and antidepressants, especially the SSRI inhibitors, there's a risk of seizures when you use them uh, together. But as long as they're not on that, that's my go-to drug, my first line of therapy. start off with uh, 50 milligrams twice a day and it need to be uh, titrated up to six pills a day. If they're happy with that, I will continue that. But if they want more relief, then I move on to the next step would be hydrocodone, five milligrams twice a day to start with, and then maybe titrate up to 20 milligrams a day, which is uh, four pills of the five milligram milligram hydrocodone. And then I move up to Percocet, same thing, start up with two a day, five milligrams twice a day, and then move up to four times a day. And then stop there. I don't uh, increase any the dose any further because there's no evidence that higher doses help patients. If they are not responding to low doses, it's very unlikely that they would respond to higher doses. And again, you run into issues, like I said before, opioid hyperalgesia addiction and those uh, other uh, problems associated with high-dose opioids. And I tell them, you know, If 20 milligrams of Percocet is not controlling your pain, you need to be weaned off. That's the approach that we take. And what's interesting is that I have a lot of patients whom I deny opioids because they belong to high risk. At the same time, at the other end of the spectrum, uh, I have uh, patients where I have to twist their arm to take opioids they're in pain, objective findings on the MRI. Most of the patients that I see are suffering from back pain and they've tried injections. They haven't helped uh, physical therapy. They've seen a chiropractor. Their only option uh, next is surgery, which I would like to have it as an absolute last resort, uh, especially with the results of back surgery being so notoriously poor. So the only option left is uh, opioids. And I'm not a big fan of Non steroidals like ibuprofen or naproxen or Advil, Motrin, those kind of drugs for chronic pain to take it on a regular basis because the side effect profile is extensive, as you know, starting with uh, GI bleeds and nephrotoxicity, and now they're talking about strokes and heart attacks with NSAIDs. So I'm not a big fan of that uh, chronically. Acute pain, yes, if you're using for a short period of time, I have no issues. And then we have other drugs like gabapentin, Lyrica, results are mixed, muscle relaxants, like Flexeril, Robaxin, again, not great uh, responses there. Sometimes we use Cymbalta, Eleval, others uh, antidepressants, again, mixed results. So we're stuck with opioids and uh, patients are reluctant, uh, dark, don't want to be an addict. So I have to tell them and convince them that the risk of addiction in you is extremely low uh, for two reasons. One, when you take it uh, for pain, truly the risk of addiction is low with opioids. And secondly, you have a very low risk profile and you don't have the personality to become an addict. So I see both the sides uh, of the coin, which is uh, very interesting. And I mean, I've, I've been about 20 years, I've, I've I've so many patients who are on low-dose opioids for years. And doing well, Uh, never asking me for a higher dose. They come every two months, we do a physical exam, evaluate their pain, and they're very happy with uh, that regimen. It makes a difference in their lives.
1: Yeah, exactly. And do you have patients like on morphine and like hydromorphone and low doses as well,
2: yeah, the problem with morphine is the smallest dose of oral morphine is fifteen milligrams, and if you if have to use it twice a day, uh, it becomes thirty milligrams that's beyond my threshold of low dose opioids, but occasionally, yes, I do use it. Hydromorphone is definitely another choice. I use two milligrams twice a day as my maximum dose, so hydromorphone is five times as potent as morphine, so or oxycodone. So a two milligram hydromorphone is equal to 10 milligrams of morphine or oxycodone and they use it twice a day. It still falls within my 20 milligram threshold. I would like to be below that 20 milligram threshold. So hydromorphone is also another option, especially they can't uh, tolerate or hydrocodone and oxycodone don't work.
1: Yeah, I think what fascinates me with your story with your patients is such low doses on a regular basis, you must have hundreds of patients are actually doing well with this. And you, when you pick the right patient, amazingly, such a low dose can work. It's just, this completely amazes me, I must admit. Yeah.
2: You hit the nail on the head. Uh, you said, uh, pick the right patient. That is the key. And you pick the right patient, low dose opioids, they do work really well. And they make a big difference in the patient's lives. And so the three things that we do is, like I was talking about, the first thing we do is uh, screen the patient, uh, decide whether this patient is appropriate for opioid therapy or not. And once we make that determination that we're going to put them on opioids, the second thing we do is have what I call as dose limitation, which is the 20 milligrams of the morphine equivalent dose. And very rarely, I go up beyond my 20 milligram dose. And the third thing that we do is monitor the patient. We do urine drug screens to make sure they're compliant and also look for aberrant behavior, you know, like uh, patients calling, saying they lost this prescription or uh, they ran out early. So those patients, depending on the risk status, if the patient is high risk, if they show one aberrant behavior, we win them off the opioids. If it's a good patient, we give them one chance, but not a second chance. So having these strict protocols, and and good patients rarely have these issues, very rare. It's always the high-risk patients we see these issues with. So watching them carefully, uh, watching for aberrant behaviors is also the three pillars, screening, dose limitation, and monitoring patients. You do these three things. That's the mantra to make sure patients who need it get it and patients who are abusing it do not have access to it.
1: Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much for going over that. I think for patients coming into the world of pain, I think it's very reassuring to hear this, that just such a low dose of these pills at the right time can be life-changing. And that's obvious what you're sharing tonight. I've learned a few things tonight. As always on these podcast shows, I'm always learning. And it's wonderful to get somebody being in the field for so long and can honestly say, yeah, this is working for my patients with hundreds and hundreds of people. And it's proven evidence-based practice that is actually making a difference. So I'd like to thank you for that. You know, what about our audience tonight who want to learn more about this? Have you got any or resources or a link or a website you'd like to share here tonight?
2: So uh, the best thing would be go to .org, which is American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians. That's ASIP. It's one of the largest pain organizations in US and they have guidelines and those are publicly available on the website and talks about all these different things that I talked about, incredible resources for patients that would be a good resource for them if they're interested in more information.
1: Okay, we just lost you for a minute there. So just go over the abbreviations of, and the name of the society again.
2: It's called ASIP, or uh, uh, which is A-S-I-P-P, or American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians. It is one of the largest pain organizations. And why I like uh, this organization is uh, when this uh, whole opioid epidemic started uh, the pharmaceuticals pushing uh, these drugs, ACIP was one of, actually the only organization that I know which did not jump on the bandwagon of the pharmaceutical companies and did not buy the Kool-Aid. This organization has always been uh, uh, using uh, rational arguments and trying to do whatever it can to avoid opioid abuse and at the same time make sure patients who need it get it. So uh, they have guidelines and uh, patients can have access to these guidelines on their website, which is asip.org, A-S-I-P-P.org, uh, and they can get more information there.
1: Well, again, thank you. This is a great new website for me as well. I'll check it out and our audience can do that too. So again, thank you for coming on. I look forward to maybe getting you on once again for your other favorite subject on this pain management, which is stem cells and what that means for the new generation of treatments moving forward in medicine.
2: And uh, I would welcome you to come back on the show for that. I would love that. And uh, thank you so much for having me. I truly enjoyed this, uh, Dr. Mr. Thank you so much. All the best. Take care.